In fact, the passage that we're going to look at today, it's, it's one of those passages, part of it will probably be familiar to you, and to me it's like, if there were things that I could convince God to put in the Bible, this would be one of them. But if I thought of it, I would think, I probably wouldn't even bring it up to him, he would never put that in. It's too good, it's too kind, it's too merciful, but I didn't have to convince him, he put it in the Bible, and it's for us today. And so we're going to actually look at Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at the first 16 verses, but I actually want to jump straight to verse 13 and 14, because I think these are really the key verses today that everything else is going to hinge on, and so I don't want us to miss this. Paul writes that one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now you'll notice he says, one thing I do, and then lists three things. <laughs> it's because in the Greek, what's happening here is press is your main verb. And you probably don't care about this level of detail, but forgetting and reaching are participles that hang off of that main verb. So the one thing he's doing is pressing toward the goal. He's going to press toward the goal. How's he going to do that? Well, it's going to take some forgetting, and it's going to take some reaching forward. And so it's really one thing that kind of comes in three parts. Because we saw last week how he talked about the lives of his friend Timothy, his friend Epaphroditus. But today Paul's going to speak a bit about his own life. What he has seen Jesus do and how he thinks about everything that has been behind and everything that is coming ahead. And so we're going to really take those three things as we move through this passage. And so the first one that we want to talk about is to forget what is behind. Now, Paul's about to list a bunch of the things that are behind that he's going to forget, which means he doesn't literally forget them, like he knows it happened, but it's the same kind of idea that the scripture uses in some places to say that God remembers our sin no more. The idea is that although it happened, and although if I stop and think about it, yes, I can remember that that's in that past, I no longer let it affect me as I'm moving forward. I don't let it drag me down in any way. And so for Paul, that included both his success and his sin. It included both his resume and his failures. And so if you look at the first couple of verses, go to Philippians 3, verse 1. Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, which right there, I just love Paul's personality because we're about halfway through the book. And he says, finally... <laughs> Finally, I have about half of this left to write to you. But finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. So he says whatever's coming next is actually to help keep them safe as they're following Christ. And he lists those three things. And I'm going to take them a little bit backwards. So when he says beware of the mutilation, this is Paul exaggerating about circumcision. Right, essentially what he's saying is, if you think that the primary way you please God is through religious ritual, like the Jews believed in circumcision, which even the Philippians would be hearing from the Jews, hey, to be a Christian, you've got to become a Jew first, you need to be circumcised. Well, well, Paul was circumcised, and he actually circumcised Timothy, and yet he says, if you think that's how you please God, if you think that you don't need to know him, you don't need to obey him, you don't need to follow him, but as long as you've done these religious things and you show up to synagogue often enough, then probably you're good. And man, that's the same. That's like mutilation. You think you cut something off and now God's good with me? All right, so beware of the mutilation. Beware anybody who tells you 
that the way you get right with God is religious ritual. But right before that, he also says, beware of evil workers. Now, the evil workers he's referring to is anybody in their culture who is telling them, forget that God of the Bible. Where'd you get that thing from anyway? We're the best. We're the brightest. Culture knows what culture is talking about. You can trust culture. So the evil workers are the ones who are bringing them all of the things of the culture and saying, don't trust God. Trust what everyone around you is saying. So beware of the mutilation, beware of the evil workers, because then when you back up to that phrase, beware of dogs, that sounds like an anachronism, but that phrase has been around for thousands of years, apparently, because this mosaic was uh, from Pompeii, perfectly preserved from the 70s, the 70s AD, when Pompeii was covered in ash, this was preserved, and right underneath this big angry dog is the phrase in Latin, cane canum, meaning beware of the dog. So Paul uses this metaphor that we still understand today to say, listen, there's something dangerous with big teeth and big claws, and it's anybody who tries to convince you that culture knows better than God or that religious ritual is how you get to heaven. Both of those things are dangerous for you. So I'm going to keep writing you the same stuff because it's safe for you for me to keep saying this. So he goes on to say then in verse 3, he takes this metaphor of circumcision to describe what it's really like to please God. Hey, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So you notice that word confidence that shows up three times? And what he's saying is no confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks they could have confidence in the flesh, they can't. I could. If anybody could, I could. But do you remember what he said in chapter 1 where his confidence comes from? His confidence is that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And that's it. Nothing else. Nothing in the flesh. Nothing of Paul. Nothing of myself. His confidence is in Christ. So now he comes here and says, if you think you have confidence anywhere else, you don't. Because if anybody could, I could. And I've learned that it doesn't come from any of that. It comes from Christ alone. And so this essentially reads like Paul's LinkedIn page. This is all the great stuff that Paul has done through his life. If you were looking to hire Paul and you go on the Google, you type Paul of Tarsus. Wow, that's impressive. School of Gamaliel of Jer oh, Jerusalem, a citizen of Rome and of Jerusalem. This is, this is the guy that you want in charge of just about everything. I mean, his resume was as solid as you could get. And yet here he is saying, oh yeah, Oh yeah, I've got the resume. I did all the ritual stuff. I did all the success. And yet I'm telling you, there's no confidence in that. It's one of the best things that we learn from Jesus as we go through our lives is as hard as we work, the confidence just can't come from us. And I know a number of you have told me stories just like that. And I want to share one with you from my friend Scott who attends here at Horizon. Because a few weeks ago, I got to hear Scott kind of tell his story. You know, how he found God in his life and what's been different and and uh, he was telling this story to, I'm, I'm estimating, but it feels like there was 200 guys up in the Montgomery Inn in that upper level, just sitting and listening to Scott talk about this. And as I listened to his story, what I loved about it is like, 
I'm listening to him, I'm thinking like, yeah, I want to be more like Scott. Before he got to the God part, like there's still that temptation. Because Scott was the guy who like in high school, he would do 300 sit-ups, 300 push-ups, swim three miles, do all of his homework. And that's like before even going to school to start the day. That was just in the morning. Like, yeah, driven, driven to be successful, hard worker. And he carried that through his life. He carried that through university. He carried that through his master's. He carried that into his career. Uh, He was very successful, got a job that he loved as a chief operating officer at a company, Uh, married a wife, had a beautiful family, beautiful children. From the outside, if you looked at Scott, everything was exactly what he was aiming for. Everything was exactly what you would want. You would say, that guy is living the life. What's wrong with my life? I want that. But he would also tell you that he was so stressed by constantly driving for more and more success. And he had a boss somewhere along the way who told him, his boss said, I have three priorities in life. First over everything is God. Second is family. Work is third. And Scott, as the chief operating officer, you know, is looking at at his boss and thinking like, That makes no sense to me because in my life, it's work. That's the only priority is making this company successful. And that's really what he had defined himself by. And so as Scott shares his story, there came a time in his life where essentially God pulled that rug out from under him. Through kind of some weird circumstances, he lost a later job that he had and now he was unemployed. And so he began really searching. And during that season, I love this, he, he said he met with over 200 people just to do networking, to try to find what was going to be his next great opportunity. And he's listing out what the experience I have and the resume I have. Here's the 10 things that I want to find next. And so as he's doing these meetings, what he kind of learned by accident was that the guys he met with who had God in their life had something different about them. So he started paying attention. He started hearing people say, well, you know, my faith is a big part of how I function even at work. And so Scott, being that hard-driven, like, if he's going to do anything, he's going to do it like 110% kind of thing, started reading the Bible. He joined a Bible study that he was invited to because he thought that would be another good networking opportunity. You know, whatever about the Bible stuff. But as he got into it, he read the Bible all the way through three or four times because it was starting to take hold of him. And he's thinking, I'm not going to give in to this unless I know exactly what it says. And what he found was that there was a message from God of grace, of mercy, of peace that he had never felt. But he could see it in some of these other business guys around him. People who were willing to invest in him when he was unemployed and had nothing to offer them. Then you start to read this book and it's like, that sounds an awful lot like Jesus. Right? Who's looking not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That when I had nothing to offer him, he came to the cross. So that my chains could be broken and I could be redeemed and death could be arrested. And so I actually wrote down exactly what Scott said because I just wanted to give you his words. He says that after having so much stress in his life and never being able to get relief, he says, I never get like that anymore since I have the peace of Jesus directing my life. I gave my life to Christ about 15 years ago, and I can honestly say that the last 15 years have been so much more enjoyable and more satisfying than any of the years before, despite all that success. As I've changed my focus from putting myself first to putting God and Jesus first, I've become a better man, a better husband, 
a better father, a better friend, a better boss, and hopefully a better employee. Now my priorities are God first before anything else, family second, and work third. And I love this next thing he says because sometimes when people are considering following Christ, they wonder if they're going to lose their edge. Like, am I going to become a weird version of myself and now I'm just like a doormat that anybody can walk on? And so Scott says, does that mean I'm no longer effective at work? Well, not at all. Because the Bible says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for a human master. And so now as the chief operating officer of his company, he's making a significant contribution to his company's success but without all the stress that came when the world was on his shoulders because of the peace that he's found in Jesus Christ. That's exactly the kind of thing that Paul is talking about in verse 7 of our section today when he says that what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Now those are financial sounding terms and they are financial terms. In fact, this picture, these are the merchant stalls in Philippi where they would set up shop for the day. And at the end of the day, what do you want to know? Net gain or net loss? At the end of the year, what do you want to know? Net gain or net loss? And Paul's saying, hey, if you had a net gain of a million dollars, I'm counting that whole thing loss compared to Christ. And what I think is so fascinating about that is is sometimes if we make mistakes in life, if we have things that hurt us or things we regret, it's easier to count those loss right? That was negative, that was bad, that's a loss. But this is kind of like how Chad says sometimes that when I meet Jesus, one of the things I realize is that my good deeds are not nearly as good as I think they are, and my bad deeds are a lot worse than I think they are. Paul's saying, when I am face to face with the God of the universe, I realize like how many coins I made today is actually not that impressive. How many things are on my LinkedIn are actually not that impressive. I mean, compared to Jesus, it's all loss because there's something amazing about knowing Jesus. In fact, that's what he says in verse 8. He says, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. So he's saying all the religious ritual in the world, forget about it. My righteousness doesn't come from that. Right? That by keeping the law, I was a Pharisee. I was at the top of the law keepers. But that's not where righteousness comes from. Right? My gain, the excellence I find in life is not my resume. It's how much I know Jesus. My gain is not me, it's him. That's why now I can reach forward to what is ahead. Everything else I forget, everything else I leave behind, all that success, all that resume, hey, compared to Jesus? And so now that's what Paul is reaching forward to. But you know, as I hear him speak, as I listen to him talk, I, I think one of the things that I've realized in my own life, one of the challenges for me is that it seems really hard sometimes to forget what is behind so that I can reach forward. And and I don't know if you've experienced that, but I think you sense that in Paul's life because there are multiple places in his letters where he keeps bringing up his past. 
Because you notice, even in that list that he made, it was great success, great success, great pedigree. Also, I persecuted the church. Right? That Paul is leaving behind both his success and his sin. And so in some ways, forgetting should be like the fastest thing, right? But when we feel regret, when we feel shame, it can be hard to let go. And did you catch that word rubbish? He says, all that stuff that is behind, I'm going to count that as rubbish. That is your Bible's polite English way of translating that word. Because if you go and look up what it means, it is any type of refuse, particularly the excrement of animals. So maybe you think about beware of dogs earlier. Paul's saying all of it is dog poop. It's all dog poop. My resume is dog poop. My sin is dog poop. Yeah, actually that does sound like that would be worth leaving behind. (laughs) And you know, I'm telling you, like if it's sin that you've struggled with, yeah, it looks like dog poop. When I think back on it, it smells bad. It's ugly. I tried not to step in it, but I, I got it on my shoe and I smeared it on the carpet. And like, it's disgusting, right? Like that's kind of his point. And I don't know what that might be for you because just in the last week, I have heard guys talk to me about the things that are behind that they wish they could forget. Addiction, whether that's alcohol or gambling or pornography or drugs, lying, an affair. You know, and sometimes we think of those like, oh, those are the big categories. Those are the things like that. Yeah, that, then you really feel the regret, right? But Paul doesn't skate over anything. Like, what about gossip and the way that's damaged relationships? What about pride, like Scott shared, that kept him from focusing on Christ for so long? You see, all of these are examples of what the Bible calls sin, which is this idea that we miss the mark of God's perfect standard. Right? That there's nothing I can do to make myself righteous. Because as the Bible teaches, we're actually, we're really good at stacking up sins, but we're also born sinful. Like we come into this world and we've already got issues. And as we grow, we begin to experience them more and more and we dig up new ones and we try new things. And I bet you can think right now of the ones that you wish you could forget. I know I can. And actually I was talking to a friend of mine this week who attends here at Horizon. And, and for him... You know, one of the big ones that he had to leave behind was that when he was growing up, he began to experience uh, homosexual desires. And he was in a family where they loved Jesus and and took him to church. And as he looks back on that part of his life now, because he, he lived that lifestyle for decades, and he says that he's so thankful, strange as it sounds, that the family who loved him was clear with him about what they believed God's standard was for that part of his life. That they were clear with him that the Bible would teach that that is sin. But he was also so thankful that they were still very clear how much they loved him. You're still my son. You're still my brother. You're still my kid's uncle. We love you. And so it came to a a later point in his life. I wish I could just tell you the whole story, but we only have so much time today. But... Uh, it's, it's so exciting because he gets to this moment where he's in sort of this crisis and he feels like he needs God's help. And so he sits down and he's praying to God that he hasn't talked to for who knows how long. Even though it's been in his history, it's been in his life. 
And he doesn't get the answer that he's hoping for from God, but it's like it reignites this relationship. It reignites this connection to God. And so he started reading the Bible. And he started hearing more and more. And he committed his life to Christ. And as God helped him grow, it was not only the message that you're forgiven. It was not only the message that I can help you resist that temptation. But it was also the message that you can forget what is behind. That all those things that we embrace for so long, that when God brings our attention to it, we often break down, right? This is like you read David in the Psalms in the Old Testament and you realize, I have sinned against God. When Peter first meets Jesus and hits his knees and says, away from me, I'm a sinful man. Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 15 writes, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But literally, Paul's next sentence in 1 Corinthians 15 is, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So I'm going to work harder than anybody. It's exactly what my friend experienced. That there's no regret, there's no shame, there's no guilt that has to be carried with us because Jesus Christ covered all of that in his blood. And whatever you might be carrying, whether it is, whether it is a success or a sin, or maybe it was abuse, something out of your control that happened to you that holds you back, that when you approach God, you think, I don't even deserve to be here. Hey, Paul felt that too. He's feeling it right here in Philippians 3. And yet that's the moment when you say, I'm choosing to forget. That I believe that the word of the Lord Jesus Christ to you in that moment would be, don't let that hold you back from following me. Don't let that fear, that regret, that guilt, that shame lie to you that it is stronger than what I did for you on the cross. That guys like my friend, guys like Scott, guys like Paul, they know the joy to say, hey, God loved me enough not to leave me there. So today I'm reaching forward. I'm following Christ. And there is a healing and there is a freedom like we sang about this morning that if you don't know it, that is what I want for you today. That is what Paul wants for you today. That is what Jesus wants for you today because that's why like we're going to celebrate Christmas in a few weeks and little baby Jesus and all that kind of stuff that sometimes it just washes right past you because it's just the season, right? But this is why he came. This is what the Christmas hymn is all about. He wasn't just born so that we could have another birthday party. He was born so that he could live the perfect life, die the perfect death, so that anything in Paul's past and anything in yours could just be counted rubbish, counted loss, and left behind as we move forward with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who loves you so deeply. You see the way that Paul does that in verse 10. Because he says that it's, it's still the same sentence. You know, Paul just loves to keep rolling. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. You notice what he says there? Here's his purpose. That I may know him. So often because church is regularly scheduled like routine is not bad but if i'm counting on ritual that sometimes can deaden me to what the whole purpose really is 
Like, you are not here this morning. Wherever you are gathered with us, it's not because you just have time to kill, so you might as well do some Bible stuff. I don't know. Like, you could sleep in. Did you know that? You could be playing Nintendo or reading a book or doing something else. And God wants you to know that if you're here because, yeah, but I've been a bad person and i got to make up for some stuff, and so I try to come to church every week, and then hopefully when I get to heaven, God will be like, well, you missed a couple Sundays, but not bad. That's so not what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. Know him. That, that is what Horizon is here for. You hear us say it all the time. We are here to connect people to God. We're not here to keep you busy. We're not here to play church. We're not here to make followers of Horizon. We are here so that you might know him, Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and even though it's tough, the fellowship of his sufferings. Because just as Christ was made perfect through suffering, that even he, when he lived as a human, had to go through hardship to learn the goodness of God, to experience the goodness of God, to prove his faithfulness to God. Hey, it's the fellowship of his sufferings. We will have hard times. But it's like Paul's saying, but Jesus, we're in this together. Because he's going to know the power of his resurrection too. That's the hope that Paul is laying before us that he himself is holding on to as he sits in that prison cell. That he knows this isn't the end. That whatever he's lost, who cares? I know Jesus. And I'm headed for resurrection. That hope is one of the most profound things that we hold on to as Christ followers. In fact, um, I was thinking about my grandma the last couple of weeks because as she got older, she actually lost her memory. So literally forgetting what is behind (laughs) and yet always reaching towards what is ahead. So whenever I would visit her, sometimes I was me. Sometimes I was my dad to her. Uh, Sometimes I was one of my dad's high school friends to her. Oh, I remember when you guys came over and like, I don't remember. Tell me all about it. (laughs) Tell me what you remember. Uh, And you know, you learn to just kind of roll with it. But always she was talking about her love for Jesus, how much God was teaching her, and how she couldn't wait to see him in heaven. And I just loved that, that, that for all of the things that she literally could not remember, she never forgot that she was reaching forward to that resurrection because she knows him. And so a few weeks ago, uh, my grandma actually passed away. She was 96 years old. You can see here, this one, my kids are a little bit younger. This was probably about 92 years old. Isn't she beautiful? And uh, I never mean to do this, but <laughs> I, I love my grandma. So. But what's so amazing about this is that now I know her memory is healed. Her body is healed. And for some of the questions she would ask, like, you know, when am I going to see LaRue again? That's, that's my grandpa. And that question's answered. You know, she's seeing grandpa again. She's seeing her daughter, my aunt who died of cancer a few years ago. She's seeing her husband again. She's seeing her daughter again. But more than all of that, she's seeing her Lord and Savior. She's seeing Jesus face to face. Because the resurrection is real. And it's a hope that is set in front of us. That's why just like my grandma, just like Paul, just like the stories you've heard today, our encouragement is to press on toward the goal. Press on toward the goal. Right? We don't want to just sit and soak and sour. We're not just saying, well, hey, like I said that prayer, now I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. And so in the meantime, I'll do whatever. I'll build my resume. I'll have my fun. I'll give in to my stuff or I won't. I don't know. Right? He wants us to press on toward the goal. And so this is where he comes to verse 12 and it says, 
listen guys, it's not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love this whole bit. This is it, right? Like, dear God, would you please put something in there that says I can forget what is behind? Oh, it's already there, right? It's already here that God is saying, this is what I want for you as you step forward, as you believe me, as you trust me, as you live. And even Paul, as he's writing the Bible, is admitting, I haven't attained it yet. Right, on one level, he hasn't attained the resurrection at this point because he hadn't died yet. But he also says, nor am I already perfected. Right? Even Paul hasn't apprehended what it means to truly be perfect in Christ. But he's on the way, and he's pressing. He says, I press toward what is ahead. Now, I want to show you something in these verses because as many times as I've seen them, I've never seen this before. And uh, so I want to share it with you. And the way I want to do that is by showing you this app called the Blue Letter Bible. So if you've heard us talk about that before, I've had a couple people mention like, man, Horizon must get some pretty big kickbacks from the Blue Letter Bible. (laughs) No, we don't. Uh, This app is entirely free. Uh, There's also a website for it as well. But man, in terms of having something in your pocket, it is one of the best Bible study tools I have ever found. Like I'm literally, it's like the one app that never closes on my phone. You could use this every day. Because not only does it let you read the Bible, but it has all of these tools built into it. And so I want to show you just one way that you can use them. So this is the, the Blue Letter Bible app. I've already got it on Philippians 3, but essentially you tap up here, you tap Philippians, you tap chapter 3, and just like that, you're in our passage. So I'm going to scroll down to verse 14 that we just read where he says, I press toward the goal. Now the trick is, if you tap the verse you're reading, all of these tools come up. Dictionaries, commentaries, there's audio commentaries, you can listen to verse-by-verse messages, One that you might not click on if you didn't know what it is, right here at the top, interlinear slash concordance. Now here's why I love that one. If you tap interlinear, what it gives you is all of the English words in the verse lined up with all of the Greek words that they come from. So even if you don't know anything about the Greek, even if it's all just squiggly lines to you, you can scroll down to find the word you want to look for. In this case, we're going to look at press, this verb, and come across to the Greek word, and tap it. And when you tap that Greek word, you get a definition of exactly what that means in the original language. But even better, if you scroll down, you will find all of the places that that exact word shows up in the Bible. So you can see it shows up a bunch of times in Matthew, Luke, John. If I scroll down to Philippians, look at that. It only appears three times in Philippians. Verse 14 that we just read, I press toward the goal. Verse 12, just before that, I press on. What a great word. But then it also shows up in verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Well, I don't see the word press in there. And so I'm not going to dig any deeper than that for now, other than to tell you that what you discover is most of the places in the Bible that this word shows up It's translated persecute. So think about what this means for Paul. That just in this passage, the only three places he uses this word in this book is to tell you, I used to press 
really hard against God and persecuted the church. But after meeting Jesus, it's like he takes all of that same energy, all of that same desire, all of that same push, that same press, like he's running that race and he wants to hit that goal first. He doesn't become lazy Paul sitting around and waiting for Jesus. He doesn't become annoying, you know, religious guy. He says, no, I used to press hard for other things. And maybe you feel that. Maybe you've spent your life pressing hard for your resume. Maybe you've spent your life pressing into things that you know they're out of line with God, but you want it and you keep giving in and you're spending a lot of time and energy on stuff that is not good for you. Guys, I've been both of those. Like, man, can I relate to Paul? But he says, in Christ, I take all of that energy, but forgetting what is behind and reaching toward what is ahead, I press on. Now the energy is in a Godward direction. And Paul is still Paul. Paul is still a hard charger. But now it's in Jesus Christ. And I want that to be an encouragement to you. Because sometimes our past fights so hard to hold us back that it stops us from moving forward. And your Savior would tell you, forget what is behind. Take all that energy you used to spend there. You spent enough energy on that. Spend that energy now on pursuing me. So here's Paul's encouragement to us in two words. Press on. Press on. I don't know what that might look like for you. But just as I, as I thought about these stories I've shared this morning, there was one thing that hit me that it was the same in all of them. Everybody's getting to know God by reading the Bible and talking to him about it. And I know that is like the churchiest thing in the world to say. <laughs> you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to read the Bible and pray. Did you need to sit here all morning to find out that somebody thinks you should read the Bible and pray? Probably not. And yet... This is exactly what changed Paul's life, exactly what I heard in every story that I shared this morning. In fact, Paul's writing the New Testament, but for him, the Bible was the Old Testament. And listen to what he would know from Isaiah 43. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, the Lord says, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, and shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You realize what Paul's encouraging other people to forget what is behind is exactly what he himself has learned from God by spending time in this book. And so listen, I love coming here on, on Sunday mornings. You know, I love hearing these messages, digging into the word in, in this setting. I love my men's groups. I love hanging out with the guys and hearing what God is telling them. But I'm telling you, if you're gonna press on, it's got to be personal. That like Paul says, you can say, hey, everything else is like whatever, but I know him. And so I would encourage you this week, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I love my paper Bible still because my phone has too many distractions on it. And when I'm doing things like, like look at this, Isaiah 43, Philippians 3, Isaiah 43, look how fast that is. Instead of like tap, tap, backspace, loading, click, click, click. Okay, there it is. Wait, what, what did the other one say? Backspace, backspace, you know, click, click. There's something so sweet. Like my memory even just, it's like it knows where it is on the page once you spend enough time there. I would just encourage you, get into his word. Talk to him about it. 
And some of these things that you start to see out of these passages, ask God, hey, hey God, where do you want me to show love to others? God, where do you want me to esteem others as better than myself? I, I keep hearing that, and I want to, and I've been trying to, but I think I forgot to talk to you about it. So in the moment, when I have a chance and I forget, would your Holy Spirit remind me? And God, in that moment, when I wake up in the middle of the night or halfway through my day or something triggers me and all I can think about is myself or that thing that happened, would your Spirit help me to forget what is behind? Reaching toward what is ahead. Press on. Let's press on today, God. Let's take some ground for the kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love for us, for the things we sang today that our richest gain we can count but loss for the, just the excellence of knowing you. That death was arrested, Lord, that you have condemned all of our sin in the cross of Jesus Christ. That we are covered by his blood, so nothing in our past holds us back from pressing on to follow you. God, you know that I need these words as much as Paul did, and so I just pray that any heart who is listening to this today, God, would you speak it to their hearts in a way that I can't, and just encourage them to know you more. And we will thank you for that, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.